Howdy, folks. Welcome to Redneck Gone Green. I'm your host, David Cobb. I am the redneck, and you bet I've gone green, and I'm trying to convince you and others to do it as well. And remember, when I say in this program, when we talk about going green, we mean it on several levels. The first level, the most important one, is deep ecology, not merely environmentalism or conservation, but a recognition that all of life is sacred, interconnected. It is a web of life and anything that we do to that web of life, we ultimately do to ourselves. It also means going green as in Green Party. And I am a registered Green Party member and proud of it. And I'm trying to convince others to do so as well. And as y'all know, I am a Green Party member, but I am first and foremost an eco-socialist. So that's why I'm so very excited about the show we're about to have and our guest, because our guest is John Parker Thompson, who is a member of a different political party, the Peace and Freedom Party. And John Parker Thompson is running for the United States Senate. No, pardon me, uh, for U.S. Congress. Uh, he ran for Senate last go round uh, as a member of the Peace and Freedom Party. And get this, y'all. The Green Party and the Peace and Freedom Party are trying to figure out how to cross-pollinate and collaborate in this shitty uh, uh, electoral system that tries to constantly suppress any alternative voices, right? And so I'm going to bring John Parker Thompson on to have this conversation. And John Parker Thompson, welcome to Redneck Gone Green. John, are you with us? John, I believe you're uh, you're muted. Ah, uh, there you go. Great. All red, isn't it? All red. So I am so sorry, John Parker, but I am not hearing you. Well, folks, uh, while we wait for John Parker to try to handle his technology, I will just let folks know that the Peace and Freedom Party uh, is a independent political party that was actually founded uh, in the uh, coming out of the 1960s movement. Uh, it is a explicitly socialist party committed to the concept of democracy, both economic democracy, but also deeper forms of democracy, ecology feminism, and racial equality and justice. Uh, and of course, for some of you, that's going to sound very similar to Green Party principles and values, to which I would say, you bet it does. And that's the reason I think it's important for Greens and Peace and Freedom folks to try to find ways to collaborate. I'm going to check and see if John Parker is with us now. Still not with us. So, John, you just keep trying on your end. And uh, if this doesn't work, we'll we'll figure out and, and bring you back on, I promise, uh, because I think it's an important conversation that we're having now uh, to imagine what it looks like to have eco-socialists working together, even if we don't completely agree on what to do and when to do it. Right. Because to be clear, the Peace and Freedom Party is an independent party. It is its own party. It's existed in California since the 1960s. Uh, the Green Party uh, came out of the bioregional uh, movement. And I'll be honest, 
from my perspective, the the idea of the Peace and Freedom Party and the Green Party actually merging at some point would be my personal preference. Uh, but I don't think that I speak for everybody on that. Uh, but I am, as folks who watch this program and listen to this uh, podcast know, uh, that I am an unapologetic eco-socialist. Uh, and in fact, here at Redneck Gone Green, one of the phrases that I use from time to time is, I'm trying to red the greens and green the reds. Uh, and that's a, an approach that I think is really critical and important. And I'm going to ask John Parker, are you with us now? No, he is not. Well, I am so sorry, folks. I, I reckon that we're going to have to find a time to reschedule John Parker because the technology is no, just not working. For those of you who are watching live on the YouTube or Rumble, you're actually seeing John Parker. Uh, you can wave to us, John Parker. Uh, but uh, there he is. See, uh, John Parker Thompson, congressional candidate and unabashed socialist does in fact exist, uh, but he is not able to join us. So I'm going to ask Jack Rabbit as producer to make a judgment call. We can either say, let's just call it right now uh, and just not do the show uh, this evening and come back with John Parker at a later date. Uh, or like, how should you, do you reckon that we should proceed, Jack Rabbit? I, I really need some advice from my my good friend, comrade, and executive producer. Yeah, well, you know, I, I just tried to call John, and uh, you know, I, I I couldn't get him. I was hoping to kind of get him on the phone and troubleshoot in the in real time. But oh, well, there he goes. Okay, maybe maybe he can pick up the phone and and we can troubleshoot live on on the show. I was going to okay, say live. Well, on this is Look, this, if you ever had any question about whether or not uh, Redneck Gone Green All right, was a there goes. funded and filtered uh, conversation, now you're it's unfiltered. All right, all right. Listen, I'm going you, off. You do your thing. I'm going to try. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to try and work with John. I'm going to be off, but John is going to be is going to stay here. We're going to try and work through this. See if we can do that. So here's what we're going to do, folks. I'm going to take a moment to just talk directly to you about the Peace and Freedom Party. Uh, the Peace and Freedom Party was founded in 1967 by people who were outraged about the Vietnam War. Uh, they were seeing the military industrial complex uh, uh, drain the U.S. economy. They were watching both Republicans and Democrats in lockstep uh, support that uh, illegal, immoral, and unethical war. They saw the death and destruction that was being visited upon the Vietnamese people. They saw the maimed and murdered Americans, uh, uh, working class Americans who were being sacrificed. And they saw black militants who were rising up uh, uh, in, in cities all across the country, but especially in California. They saw Filipino and Lat Latino farm workers organizing labor unions in the fields. They were watching women agitating for full equality with men. What you were seeing was a movement, a true social movement, uh, and a massive voter registration drive in California put the peace and freedom on the California ballot in 1968. Uh, at the time, there was both a state and national effort to do it. Uh, to this point, what we've seen is that the Peace and Freedom Party exists in California. 
uh, but no other states to my knowledge. That's the only place where the peace and freedom has a ballot line. But they do have a ballot line. And the Green Party has a ballot line nationally and in California. So what's really unique is that the Green Party and the Peace and Freedom Party uh, leadership have come together to co-create and nurture what we're calling the left unity slate. And the left unity slate uh, is an effort uh, to try to find a way for us to work together even as we maintain independent party ballot lines. And so that is incredibly unique and a genuinely collaborative approach across leftist, across the progressive uh, electoral plot. And what, what you see is a slate of seven candidates for Congress and the California Assembly have come together and they have self-described themselves as the left unity slate. Five of those seven are members of the Peace and Freedom Party. Two of those are members of the Green Party. And here, listen to this, y'all. This is the second election in a row that this cooperative orientation has been utilized. Two years ago, the left unity strategy paid off and both the California's Green Party and the California's Peace and Freedom Party were both able to maintain ballot access. And make no mistake, having ballot access for an unabashed left party, that's a really hard thing to do, right? And uh, the, uh, the reality is that I tell people all the time that this system is not merely designed to prevent the success of socialist or greens uh, at the ballot box. That's true, but it's deeper because this system is designed to prevent our very existence. So the fact that the Peace and Freedom Party exists and has since 1968, the fact that the Green Party of California exists and has since 1992, that's a big deal. Uh, and what's especially a big deal is you're seeing an effort for the Green Party and the Peace and Freedom Party to cross-collaborate, try to come together, and find ways uh, to work together. So I do want to just acknowledge that uh, Dave uh, P. in the comment has asked about Cindy Sheehan, and that's exactly right. Cindy Sheehan was a, a candidate uh, on the Peace and Freedom uh, Party ballot line. And the idea of the watermelon, right? Uh, and uh, so I, it makes me grin because the watermelon uh, is the idea of being green on the outside, but red on the inside. And I'll say some uh, uh, some folks try to use that as, as a pejorative, right? Uh, but I hold it uh, uh, as a badge of honor. I say I'm a real watermelon because I am green on the outside, I'm red on the inside, and at my very core, I've got the black seeds, the kernel of liberatory anarchism uh, at my core. So, you know, to me, that that idea of, uh, you know, the watermelon, like I don't run from being a socialist. I don't run from being a Green Party or an, uh, a deep ecologist. So to me, I am very proud that there is a way for greens and reds to actually work together. And I think ultimately what we're going to find as fascism rises, as the predatory class uh, continues its grip, and as frankly things worsen, you're going to see the need 
for us to unite and fight uh, more and more. And I do want to say uh, thank you to Desert Mantis, who says, I've heard John talk before. I like the policy he promotes. And I hope that we're going to be able to bring uh, John's voice directly to you so we can have this conversation. Uh, and the uh, uh, Jacqueline asks, uh, I wonder if we can bring some more over from RBN. And I'm not even sure what RBN means. So drop that, Jacqueline, into the chat and, and we'll see if we can figure that out. So, but one thing that I will say is that what you're seeing is a literal, uh, like the, the, what I call uh, the bourgeois democratic state is literally failing. And I do want to break that down because I think it's important to understand that for me, the operative principle of the state apparatus uh, is to maintain the existing predatory class who actually owns everything. Uh, and we've seen that unfold, that principle of uh, the protecting the state and the bourgeois order unfold in the aftermath of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Uh, some Republican members of Congress representing one wing of the U.S. ruling class incited and abetted what the other wing is called <laughs> insurrection. Uh, everybody on, hear me? Oh, hey, That's hello. Great. Thanks. All right. Thank you. All right. Look at that. You know, we stayed with it. We were patient. And now, let, let me try all over again and say, hey, John Parker Thompson, welcome to Redneck Gone Green. <laughs> it's actually the opposite of the uh, uh, Thompson Parker. <laughs> oh, John. Oh, my goodness. Well, please do forgive me and be patient with me and I'll get there. So, I'm, the one, uh, I'm the one who messed up. So <laughs> I got it's all good. It's all good. Well, looky here. That 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 gives me an opportunity to bring my mama uh, onto this material plane who taught me this, uh, John. I think you'll like it. It goes like this. Oh, did that? Did you make that mistake or did that little thing happen to you? I hope that's the worst thing that happens to you today. What a great day you're going to have. <laughs> <All right. laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well, looky here, let's let's actually give you a proper introduction, right? Uh, and by that, I mean, I, I want to be clear that you are, uh, John Thompson Parker is running uh, uh, for office in the U.S. Congress. He's a longtime socialist. Uh, an activist, an anti-war and anti-racist organizer. He's the founder of the Harriet Tubman Center for Social Justice. He's a leader in the Socialist Unity Party. He's running for U.S. Congress in the 37th District. That's basically South Los Angeles. He is clear and unequivocal. We need a new system. So with that, I'm going to welcome John Thompson Parker properly to Redneck Gone Green. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. An honor to be here. Thanks. <laughs> Looky here. I want to actually ask you uh, to, to, in your own words, explain what the Peace and Freedom Party is. I did my best uh, as a Green Party member to lift up and honor the history of the Peace and Freedom Party, but I want you to speak for yourself as a representative of that party. Oh, well, um, the, the, the uh, beginnings of the Peace and Freedom Party started with the Black Panthers. Um, and I can't remember the per. I, I have to say I, I had a uh, stroke in April, last April. So my memory on names is terrible. So, but there's a Black Panther party who started, uh, I want to say Cleaver, but I don't think it's him, uh, who started uh, wanting to get ballot status. 
um, to be able to get the you know progressive social justice messages, uh, anti-racist messages out. Uh, and Peace and Freedom was able to uh, uh, began on with his campaign and got enough votes to, to have ballot status. Ballot status. So um, since so I then, will just I'll, I'll corroborate with you. I because I do know that that was Eldridge Cleaver, uh, oh. who was a Black Panther Party, who was one of the the many co-founders of the Peace and Freedom movement, mm -hmm. Peace and Freedom Party. Mm -hmm. So after that, they gave us uh, all the progressive organizations especially socialist organizations, a chance to uh, get on the, get in the elections and um, not necessarily to to win because <laughs> if it's funny how when you want to take over the um, the ruling class uh, uh, industrial monopolies and financial monopolies, um, they don't want to give you a grant or anything. so <laughs> we have to work for to try to keep things going and luckily luckily enough, our messages are relevant to the working class enough. So, and uh, the part about all the different parties, like I'm in a different party, there's a lot of different parties, but the um, sectarian, sectarianism is, is, is put aside and we're, we're united on the struggle for, to push socialism um, and push the, the, the needs that the people are right now. And we know that one of those big needs is to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. Um, so you know, glad to be able to do that. That's right. And and I'm uh, it, it actually reminds me uh, of another uh, black liberation uh, uh, fighter, George Jackson, who famously mm -hmm. said, settle your quarrels, come together, mm -hmm. understand the reality of our situation, understand that fascism is already here, that people are dying who could be saved. Mm -hmm. Generations will live poor, butchered half lives if you fail to act. Do what must be done. Discover your humanity and your love in revolution. And so to me, John, uh, what really excites me is when somebody like you, an unequivocal socialist, says, put our party differences aside. Party late, like, and again, we could debate the finer points on why right. I'm green versus peace and freedom. And you could say, well, why I'm peace and freedom and not green. But you know what, John? We, you and I agree on 99% of everything. So why should we spend all our time in sectarian fights over that 1%? Why don't we unite the class against our real enemy, which is the predatory class who got their boots on our necks, who are making the wheels of industry roll with the blood, sweat, and tears of people who look like you and me. And I'm going to end with this, John, because when people uh, think that that somehow they've got something in common uh, with the, the, the real bosses, the one half of 1%, not even the 1%, but the 0.01% because they have pigment like them, I tell them this. Let me tell you something. Why don't you try this? Go knock on the door of the country club and tell them, hey, I ain't got no money, but I am white. Can I come and swim in the pool with you? And you see how those bastards treat you. At the end of the day, John, what we've got to do is unite across race, across gender, across sexual orientation. What we've got to do is unite in our common uh, class as the non 
owning non-ruling class because we supposed to run this joint. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> All right. Well, so John, tell me about your run uh, for Congress. Yeah. I should also mention, I forgot to mention the uh, he, him uh, pronouns as well. Um, uh, um, yeah, the, well, we, one thing you, when you were talking about things on our necks too, and I was just makes me think about the knees on our necks with the cops and things like that and, and the stuff. And it just makes me think one of the reasons you have to run, even if you don't think you're going to be able to win, um, is that it gives you a bigger megaphone. So you can a lot of like last night, last time I ran for Senate, I got 105,000 votes. Um, I came in eighth uh, out of 27 Senate uh, 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 candidate folks. And the person who came in 10th, I came in eighth. The person who came in 10th out of that 27 was a billionaire, uh, a billionaire. And he spent seven million dollars on his campaign. I spent less than four thousand dollars. So the words, sometimes the words that you say, the message that you have, it relates to what working people are seeing, and uh, it it helps build the movement. That's what we wanted to is help build the movement uh, to unify our struggles. And like you said, the only way to unify our struggles between uh, our, uh, gender oppression, our uh, racism and all this and national oppression and things like that. The only way to do it is to be in solidarity with people's struggles, individual struggles. So the trans community has struggles. They're fighting these fascist laws in, in Florida and other places. Uh, uh, and the black folks are fighting, brown, and brown people are fighting off the genocide by the police. And so we have to always, uh, and, and union workers, uh, working class white workers, whether they're fighting to stop the ongoing oppression, and the wealth of their surplus value by is, is being stolen to create the witches of the ruling class, uh, and it just keep taking more and more with the with inflation, which is encouraged by these wars and the proxy wars in Ukraine and the other wars that. Uh, the the are uh, are it's like a huge wage cut that working people are 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 faced with, so we see each other's struggles and we say, okay, why don't we um you know, I'll 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 stand with you, and then you stand with me. Of course, if you're if you're walking challenge, you got I shouldn't say stand. We'll be with you. Uh, we'll we'll be with your struggle, and you'll be with our struggle, and it makes us understand that. You know, when you get a hand up, like, like, oh, here we go, hand, and I, here's my hand here. And when you get <laughs> one person is uh, uh, is there, but another person comes, and all five come together as a fist, then you have a powerful way of doing what needs to be done. I mean, I like pacifism. I like the sentiment of pacifism and love and things like that, but that's really a tactics. And and when your life is being threatened by that knee on your on your neck, uh, you have a right to, to push that knee off and do whatever you need to do to survive and the survival of your children. And so, you know, John, I, I, I mm -hmm. think you're making an important point because I do want to, uh, I, I want to draw that distinction, uh, and, and say this, I know the difference, uh, between I like, let me put it this way. Mm -hmm. I do not believe in using violence as an affirmative political tool. 
right? However, I am not uh, a pacifist. And if you don't understand that difference, take a swing at me or anybody in my presence and you will see me very vigorously engage in self-defense, right? Uh, so so uh, I, I also want to be explicit and clear that what I understand is that poverty in itself is violent, mm -hmm. that racism by its very nature is violence. So the point is the current system left unchecked is inherently fundamentally violent and we have got to actually make a distinction between the proper self-defense of ourself of the planet uh, and of our comrades uh, versus what the fascists are actually doing so yeah, right. you, know, uh, you know again to me uh like i i use every tool in the toolbox and i believe uh, in uh, a, a multitude of tactical approaches, which is why I do movement work, I do electoral work, I do legal work, I do media work. We need a strategy for revolutionary transformation. Right, right. And that comes with the uh, collective, collective actions, um, uh, being able to... Um, have brainstorm think about what what we um the truths that we understand about society and we're being so scientific about that as well and everybody has a little bit of a lot of pro progressive organizations they all have maybe not all the truth i know i don't have all the truth Myron doesn't have but we've got some of it and someone else has another bit of it we're going to piece it together and really become a real fighting force, not only here, but internationally. Um, but, um, you know, the housing, the, the one of the big crises of, of talking about survival is you, you need to have uh, a roof over your children's heads and you need to be able to, <laughs> from nature, to be housed. Um, that's one of the big things that, 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 that these things and, and food and health care and all those things. And here in Los Angeles, um, where in California, where I'm running, uh, the district is mostly a South Central area, Inglewood and things like that. And the housing crisis is just keeps getting worse and worse. And the politicians don't, they keep saying, oh, we're going to do something. Oh, yeah, we we put a thousand or two thousand homes. Meanwhile, 50,000 more people became homeless. So right now it's about 75,000 people in in L.A. are in L.A. are um, are, are homeless, are houseless. And in California, it's about 200,000 people. And I, I was looking at the things of, the, of how many billionaires there are in California, about 160, 186 billionaires. And, you know, it's going to be, it's not just one person with $1 billion. Gonna, some people have $100 billion, some others. But if you, you kind of average how, many, how much money they have, um, and we take 1% of that money, we could build uh, 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 maybe 400 500,000 houses 500,000 houses and what we only need 200,000 so if they just would attack these billionaires or something like that so in other words the 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 problem of housing and things could be could be stopped in a second with a stroke of a, plan, a pen in one day could they could do it if they wanted to but they don't want it and maximize profits. That's what. That's why we got to have to have socialized. We have to have a system that puts people's needs over uh, maximization of the profits of monopolies. 
Um, then, then the healthcare crisis is another thing a lot of people, and especially a lot of uh, black and brown folks, especially black people and with heart problems like, like I had with a stroke, uh, it, it, uh, the lack of uh, access to healthcare um, is a real crime. It's murder as well. I mean, I had a stroke in three months. It took me three months to get a cardiologist and a neurologist. Uh, because of the lousy healthcare system, the lack of things. And they say when you get a stroke, you know, you got to find out right away what it is. <laughs> Luckily, I'm still alive, but this is happening to a lot of people. Uh, the healthcare, the lack of healthcare, and there doesn't need to be a lack of healthcare. I mean, they have tons of money, but the states and all the states, they put the payment of the banks, the, the debt, see, the debts that's, uh, that are created by the banks. You have to pay them off first in the budget. You can't talk about homelessness or anything or food or help or anything like that. You got to pay the banks first. That needs to be challenged. So all of these, yeah. So John, I, I want to circle back because uh, uh, Jacqueline wrote, uh, who is a frequent commenter on the program, writes in to say, I sometimes think that the Democrats weaponize fascism so that they can fool people into thinking that the Democrats are the only viable alternative. Mm -hmm. I wonder if I could get you to reflect on that, because I personally think that's a very astute observation. Yeah, you know, it's the same old good cop, bad cop. Because <laughs> <laughs> of the bad cop. But it changed around, I guess, before, right, right after slavery and even around that time, the crop, the Republicans were the good cop, but now, now the good cop is the right. Democrat. Remember, the Republican Party, as a third party, by the way, uh, emerged as an abolitionist party and as a free love party and as a party of the working class. But so that that history we should delve into here on Redneck Gone Green sometime. But I also want to point out something. I have perceived the Democratic Party to be fundraising on the concept of fascism. And they demonize the Republican Party uh, leadership, including the January 6th attacks on the Capitol. Make no mistake, that January 6th attack was absolutely an attack on the trappings of uh, the Democratic uh, principles. Uh, mm -hmm. But isn't it interesting uh, that immediately afterwards, the Democratic Party leadership were willing to take these people who they had earlier called seditionists uh, and welcome them in. They normalized the traditions. They made speeches, they, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that, that that's the reason that I talk about the bourgeois democracy or the bourgeois party, mm -hmm. because they protect one another. They right. are literally part and parcel of the predatory class. And I think it's important that we really be clear that when when John and I and others talk about class, we don't just mean socioeconomic class, although we can have that conversation. We're talking about the class of who owns the means of production, who owns uh, the, the, the way to socially reproduce our society. See, if workers actually controlled their own labor and the means of production, John, we'd be living in paradise right now. Mm -hmm. Like right. we literally could be living in paradise because with automation, technology, uh, artificial intelligence, if we democratized all of that, there is so much abundance. 
there is so much abundance. Most of us would spend our time uh, as artists, as creatives, as culture workers, or, or you know, when some people would be doing the things that they actually want to do. Uh, and I think it's worth pointing out, I want to end with this before I get, get you to, to react. And that is, John, I think that people want to work. By work, if we mean meaningful, productive human labor, right. for which you will be respected and acknowledged for your gifts and your contributions. People want to work. What yes. they don't want is to be exploited, oppressed, pushed around and bossed about, and then having the, the like, so that's my assessment. And I'm wondering how you would react to that. Yeah, that's definitely, you know, the, you know, it's a weird thing. I hear when I'm at the, we had a demonstration for Martin Luther King's, um, for a march for Martin Luther King. And uh, it was good. We had the Palestinian uh, groups, uh, Palestinian youth uh, movement and al and and, uh, Black Alliance for Peace and all African People's Revolutionary Party and other folks and even Code Pink and others were knighted in this march, uh, um, pushing uh, in solidarity with Palestine and, and against the genocide of Black folks in South Central. Um, and they, but one of the some of the sometimes you hear the chants. Uh, one chant I don't like. I don't, I don't mean anything against people, but so they have that chant. Uh, this is what democracy looks like. Say what democracy looks like. like I hate that chant. Because we don't have a democracy in this country, it ain't in no way what they got to do. We wouldn't have to have the damn demonstration if we had real, real democracy, uh, where working people could control uh, their the the new nuclear facilities, food, agriculture, electric. You don't have to pay. A, it's no democracy when your your fuel bill, uh, your energy bill goes up eight times and you can't do a damn thing about it. It's only the ruling class that has a means of production. They have a vote. And the, the, and the thing about people, people do want to work. We know that people, they want to feel needed. They want to, that's just part of our makeup. Human makeup is that you want to be a, a, a part of society um that's love that's that's love. and uh imagine about all the folks i'm thinking of all the folks that are on the corner uh the young people that they they don't have a job they don't have they they're trying to uh help their family their parents or whatever they're trying to help them survive but the rents are too high and stuff so they go into maybe drilling dealing some drugs or doing something that that to try to make things desperation all these kinds of things are going imagine how many of these young folks would love the chance to get a good pension, a good wage, and the respect of the community by being a security force, a safety force. And we can get rid of the, the police. We don't need them. We don't need their guns. <laughs> Most of the time there's a problem or anything. You don't need, you don't need weapons and things like that. You can talk, you can de-escalate. De de but when the cops are just caring about the, uh, the property of the rich, uh, and repression and keeping us scared from fighting back, then there's a lot of weapons involved. But we didn't do is disarm the cops, get rid of the police and have our own uh, groupings of safety forces. And uh, these people, the working class folks, the folks, they, they would love this. It's not like uh, people say, well, if we don't have police then we're not gonna be safe. No, we'll be very safe if we have our own organizations that are concerned about uh, real safety. You know, John, yeah. I got to tell you, when when people uh, challenge me to say, oh, no police, like, well, what would that look like? You know what I tell them? 
go into any upper middle class suburb and just walk around. That's mm-hmm. actually what it would look like. You don't see police cr- patrolling, uh, you know, like on, on every street corner. Like if you actually provided people uh, with adequate food and shelter and mm-hmm. if, if, like if we actually had a genuine socialist society, uh, yes, there would be the very rare occasional need uh, for intervention. But actually de-escalation uh, tactics, uh, a well-educated citizenry that could uh, respond quickly, mental health care providers, mm-hmm. Johnny on the spot uh, to help folk. Like what we would find is a society uh, that was peaceful, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just, I really, and, you know, you talked about housing. I think it's worth pointing out that there are about seven to eight empty houses for every one single houseless person anywhere in this country in the state of california in 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 some places it's even higher than that Mm -hmm. the problem of the housing is not oh we need to build more houses the Mm -hmm. problem is that we treat housing as a commodity that's bought and paid for at a profit and if you don't have enough money you don't get a house Mm -hmm. that's right yeah the houses are already here uh, it just shows with with the billionaire the money that they have the access they that they could we you know a hundred and something billion dollars a year could help most of the um uh, uh the starvation the uh, most of the starvation in the world but i think the millennium project the united nations millennium project has some goal of a hundred and something billion dollars a year that would really would really help the whole world in terms of food, hunger, and, and things like that. So these 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 things are the solutions are very easy uh, if there is a will um, to put your career above your cowardice um, and of, the, of these politicians. Um, but and you know it's funny too when we're talking about the money that that's going. We don't have a decision to do anything when uh, what's his name? He put that rocket up that ship uh what's that Elon guy? musk or uh amazon guy uh what's that guy and he hit this they had the spaceship going up i think kirk bezos phil william shatner yeah bezos yeah they had this this ship going up then he spent way me what a six billion dollars or something on that thing and he said uh, as the ship was going up he said i thank the amazon workers because you made this happen you paid for this. Hey, that's the first time he was honest about this stuff. But you know, if people that when that went up, that was a time when there was, uh, I think there was a shortage of of um, infant um, uh, powder, uh, some infant um, factories or something. There was a shortage uh, of food for that babies needed in this country, the richest country in the world. And this was a, so I think the Amazon workers probably would have said if they had a vote, maybe we should have more factories for for infant formula rather than uh, putting the ship up that going to nowhere up and down the not even really in space, just going up to the upper atmosphere and coming down. You know, so so we don't have that. And then when they had those that uh, funeral uh, funeral uh, for the queen, um, they spent another billions and billions of dollars. And I think most of the people might have wanted more money to 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 be able to pay for the the gas at their cars, their cars, because uh, after Nord Stream pipeline was shut down, the 
destroyed by the U.S. and the natural gas, the cost was so high and food followed that cost as well. I think they'd probably want that rather than having something, um, a very expensive funeral for a monarch. So I think it's really worth pointing out, folks, that what what John is describing uh, is something that I agree with, and that is that there's plenty of money, uh, there's plenty of uh, resources. Uh, It is, the problem is that we have devised a system that uh, allows and in fact encourages and incentivizes the extraction of wealth and it, it consolidates both wealth, but also power and decision-making authority. Really what we need to do is democratize the process. And that includes elections, by the way, because elections in the United States are fundamentally undemocratic uh, from the way the primary process operates, the horrific first-past-the-post winner-take-all voting system, but also the, the way it's financed and funded by the billionaire class. At the end of the day, if we really wanted to take democracy seriously, it would actually be quite easy to do. And it goes like this. First, we'd need to change the election system uh, to proportional representation. Uh, Then we would have ranked choice voting uh, to elect our executives. Then we would have full publicly funded elections. We would end felony uh, uh, disenfranchisement. Uh, we would ensure that there was a mechanism by which ordinary people were able to participate in any decision that impacted or affected them. See, the point is that the ruling elite do not want democracy, and they have fought every effort uh, to to grasp just a little bit of of power uh, that either uh, black and brown-skinned people have had to fight for or working class people have had to fight for. The reality is that we don't have a democratic system, but we should still utilize it. Right. Uh, we should use every tool in the toolbox, and that includes the ballot box. Yeah, even uh, you know our our good friend Lenin said, <laughs> "You got to use the elections. Uh, it's a it's a it's a barometer, uh, and you, you got to use it. it's a tactical thing as well." You know the the thing about the. Um, the democracy and the, the elections and how corrupt they are. Um, one of the reasons I was able to get a decent, a halfway decent thing uh, within the last election was I was able to use the ballot. Every every um, the ballot form goes out to every registered voter. It goes out to people decide what they want to do. But you get to to say you, you, this will first time. Sometimes folks will hear the words of the the, the candidates. So. I, you, I did about a couple paragraphs because it cost $25 a word to get into the ballot, um, the, the ballot fly, uh, mailers that go to everybody. So, so I could only afford like a, a couple of paragraphs to say we were against the wars and the proxy wars and, and, and for jobs and not for war. Um, so that helped a lot because we couldn't reach all those people. Well, that way we can reach them. Now, this time going for congressional uh, office, uh it's it's not by word you get you can get 250 words or less but you have to pay nine thousand nine hundred dollars to get your statement in the ballot uh mailings so and that's the only place where a lot of folks are going to hear us so that really makes it so if you have the money because who has ten thousand dollars to do that 
So most people uh, aren't going to be able to do that and get their word out. We we made sure we made it happen anyway. <laughs> if I have to I, go 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 pour um, and, and refinance the house a billion times over, use the house as an ATM. We don't care. We'll do whatever we got to do to do it. And our statement. I is just think it is, it's it's worth pointing out, folks, that what you're hearing from John, a, a candidate for Congress, uh, is the the immense barriers that are put in front of ordinary people to try to participate as a candidate. Uh, and so to me, I think it's worth lifting up and celebrating that the Peace and Freedom Party exists and has been on the ballot since 1968. It's also worth celebrating and applauding that the Green Party exists and is on the ballot. And John, I wanna take a moment to uh, ask you about the left unity slate and uh, how that came about and, and why you've been a leader as one of the candidates bringing that together. Yeah, last than the last Senate campaign, was it the last two campaigns? I remember the, the uh, before 2022, uh, the, Senate, the Senate candidate before that, um, I, I also got some of the endorsement from Green Party as well. I was very happy about that. <laughs> and that was kind of a, a, a beginning of kind of a, uh, a slate, uh, a, a slate of, uh, uh, and then on 2022, I think we had a, we had a slate, a uh, more formal slate, which helped everybody. And, um, uh, and this year we have a slate again, um, and really happy to, to try to work with this slate of the, uh, the different folks who are running uh, other congressional districts. Let me, let me take a moment to, to lift that slate up one by one. Uh, on the Peace and Freedom Party, we have Babar Khan of Riverside County, uh, who is running in the 71st district. Uh, we have Kevin Martinez of the Peace and Freedom Party running in Sacramento County in the 6th district. Uh, and we have Chanel Pittman of the Green Party of Los Angeles running in the 52nd district. That's all for state assembly. But wait, there's more because in the U.S. House of Representatives, we have Aaron Rivellis of Peace and Freedom also running in Los Angeles County, although Aaron is running in the 34th district. John Thompson Parker, who we've been talking to, is running in the 37th district, uh, which is basically South Central Los Angeles. And then Sean Daugherty of the Green Party is running in the 19th district, which is basically Monterey and Santa Cruz counties. And then lastly, William Peterson in the 28th district, which is in, in both Los Angeles and San Bernardino counties. So the point is, John Thompson Parker is one of seven candidates uh, of two different parties who are cross-pollinating, collaborating against the predatory class. And both of the uh, parties, like the Democratic and Republican parties, are both bourgeois capitalist parties. Yeah. Let's not make any bones about that. Yeah. And one of the most important things to do is to get the message that um, whatever we do, whatever reforms that we make or, or do, we um, the main thing is to make sure that um, we understand the system. Uh, we can't go for the status quo. We can't enable a system that is destroying us uh, and destroying humanity. 
we can't enable we have to build the consciousness even if it's a reform that doesn't it doesn't give us the revolution right away but it does help us get more food it helps us do something like that but all the changes have to help build the consciousness that you can't depend on the republicans and the democrats because they're they've been bought and full and they're just agents for the ruling class they got billions of dollars they don't get there unless they have millions of dollars from the ruling class and that's what they're for to keep the system keep the system the way it is and that's the way that that we have to expose and that's one of the main things i think is important for these things and and really glad that we have the 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 cooperation and things you learn so much you see who the your common enemy is um and you know when the after the revolution you know then we'll be able to um you know we'll be able to um figure fight it out after we have a revolution in this country <laughs> get rid of capitalism we'll fight it out you and me we can fight it out of course i'm going to bring you look kind of big so i'm going to bring some other people if i have to fight with you but <laughs> but anyway but um but you know some of the things that we did um the harry tubman center in 2013 um right now there has been higher minimum wage another bump in the minimum wage in california it's one of the highest uh, minimum wages that they're here and one of the reasons is in 2013 we we did a we did a a, a reform we tried to do a reform with the minimum wage and we i did a, uh, a ballot initiative that called for an immediate uh immediate for the 15 dollars minimum wage to take effect immediately in 2013. uh and we got the thing all we needed to do was get a hundred thousand signatures to get it on the ballot but um we crossed all our i's and t's on, on making it a, a a ballot that could have gone on the ballot but we couldn't get it on there uh because the powers that be the mayor and others they put their own proposal which was a proposal that by 2022 15 it was 15 15 dollars an hour um but they never would have done that in the first place and that's not enough 22 by 2022 15 dollars enough that's that's definitely not enough and 2013 probably wasn't enough but that could have happened immediately but anyway it did push them so the activism on the streets does does do something and this is part it, of it does and and john i, I want to take this moment to to underscore uh what you were actually talking about uh about you know we have to fight for reforms but we also need a new system and to me uh i am inspired by the work of andre gores who coined the term non-reformist reforms uh and that's always inspired me because like you said john like i fight for reforms because they make people's lives better uh, and you know, like a, a, an increase in the minimum wage will will put uh, some more money in working class people's pockets. And I can go down the list of reforms that are absolutely worthwhile, and we should fight for them. But we should understand that we're just extracting concessions from a fundamentally extractive, predatory system, and that what we need to do is fight for reforms that also are part of a plan to raise consciousness of the working class so the working class sees itself as an instrument for change and yeah. recognizes its own power because i'll tell you john if working class people actually united mm -hmm. 
we could run this country like that. To be clear, we already run the country, but we don't have any political power. But nothing happens in this world that working class people don't make happen. Labor is the source of all wealth. There's a good example of that in 2006 here in L.A. on that uh, Sensenbrenner bill uh, tried to raise its fascist head. It was a really horrible anti-immigrant bill. Um, and the community, immigrant community, uh, decided to have a, a, a general strike, a strike against that. I mean, they did it on March 25th, and, but on May 1st, they did it again. It was about a million people out in the streets. Uh, but this time it was on a Monday. It was during the week. So they lost when they all these people, a million people or so, didn't go to go to work. The, the corporations lost billions of dollars in one day. And after that, that bill just disappeared. <laughs> it had already uh, passed the house. And was- for those of you, those of you who are listening and are watching in California, let's give a hat tip to the Teamsters and the California Faculty mm-hmm. Association, who just won their uh, strike against the California State University system. Mm-hmm. That strike oh. only had to last one day. Because here's the thing, John, we say it and it's true. Yeah. When we fight, we win. Yeah, and the UAW, uh, the UAW wins those great unprecedented contracts of the wage increase and things. And they said they're for a ceasefire for in solidarity. A big United Auto Workers Union said that. So they're inspiring folks. And get do- this, John. I like this is really worth lifting up, folks. The, the that that tremendous win that the United Auto Workers got in their existing contract, it was intentionally designed and written to expire on May 1st of 2028, <laughs> May Day. And John Finn, the president of UAW said, that's intentional because if we don't get what we want, we think that we need to start moving to a general strike. This is the first time that organized labor has been using that kind of language in 50 years. Something important is happening. Uh, It's happening in the labor movement. It's happening in the peace movement. It's happening in the environmental movement. And it's happening at the ballot box. So, John, we're coming to the end of the program. I, I need to remind viewers and listeners, if you're watching live, thank you for doing so. If you Please make sure to like, comment, and subscribe on either YouTube or Rumble or Facebook. Uh, forward along our Substack, we've got now four over four thousand two hundred subscribers on Substack, and that's because of people like you. This audience is growing, uh, and it's because of you. So please help us uh, grow. Next week, uh, we're going to uh, take on Full Square. Uh, the international court's uh, case of genocide led by South Africa, the case against uh, 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 Israel uh, for its ethnic cleansing slash genocide in Gaza. So please join us next week. And before we sign off, I do want to give John Parker an opportunity for any last words. John, the the floor is yours. Okay. uh, Well, you know, uh, last month I was in detention in Egypt. (laughs) <laughs> for about 37 hours. <laughs> uh, we were part of the world conscious convoy to get aid into Gaza. And um, and so I was rested there. 
I got deported, stuff like that. And one of the reasons we thought that was important was to put an uh, put the uh, put the eyes on the U.S. imperialism uh, and say that you know we saw the Egyptian people, even the corporate media, they all said this is a massacre and something has to be done about it. That's not what they're saying here. But when we go there and we put the shine and put that light on the truth, um, people will understand you don't have to take the jobs that you're missing. You don't have to take the lousy wage cuts and the poverty uh, and, the and the rents and the things like that. You don't have to stand for that. When you see that someone like Biden Trump, we know is, is horrible. And Trump, when he takes a, his face, the mask off, and he's for the, the bombing of babies on a, on a daily basis that's happening, his mask is removed. And so we know what we have to do. We need an alternative. We need socialism. And that's one of the things that we're going to get. <laughs> Thank you, uh, John Parker Thompson of the Peace and Freedom Party, part of the Left Unity Slate. I want to thank you for joining us on this program. I want to thank Jack Rabbit, the executive producer of Redneck Gone Green. And most importantly, I want to thank you, the audience member, who are part of this community. Uh, we are getting larger, stronger, and better organized. I want to thank you again. Please join us next Tuesday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. We'll continue this conversation. In the meantime, keep fighting. Peace.